So uh, we're starting to kind of wind down our series called Real to Real. And um, as we do that, I wanted to spend just a little bit of time in Romans and talking about the Apostle Paul. And when you look at uh, the book of Romans, it's a series of letters written to those in Rome. Scholars believe that this book was written right around uh, 58 AD, give or take just a few years. It was written in Corinth to those in Rome. And it's a powerful book, right? It is a powerful book uh, that talks a lot about theology. It talks about Christian doctrine. There is a call to action uh, in that book. It's a challenging book. It's a heart-piercing book. Um, and it does not mince words. I mean, what I like about Paul is, boom, he gets right in there and he starts talking. And at the very beginning of this book called Romans that Paul writes. He kind of sets the stage and he really makes things real for us. Okay. And he just kind of displays his life and he displays his heart. And so in Romans chapter one, starting in verse one, and we're just going to look at verses one through six, but we're really going to be focusing right there on verses uh, in verse one is where we'll spend a bulk of our time. And then we'll kind of reference two through six in the latter part but it says this, Paul, okay, so he's writing, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Everyone say bondservant, okay? A bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3, concerning his son who was born uh, of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who has declared the Son of God with the power of the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. And there are three things that we can gather from this passage, two mainly coming from the first verse that we've been talking about this whole time, this moving from real to being really, truly real in our faith and in our following of Jesus Christ. And the, and the first thought is this, is that we have real meaning. We have real, R-E-A-L, we have real meaning. When you look at this, in the very first verse, what does it say? Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle. Okay, Paul, from the very beginning, he defines who he is. And as guys, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge fan of definitions. All right? I'm a huge fan of definitions. How many of y'all here are married? How many of y'all are married? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. Very good. All right. Now, when you were dating your wife, am I a little hot? Am I, am I, am I yelling in the mic? So uh, as we are, uh, as we are uh, dating, was there a point in your relationship where you had the DTR? You know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all know what the DTR is? A lot of you are looking around like, what's the DTR? You were dating this girl, and then you sat down and you had that conversation, which is called define the relationship. Y'all with me on that? You're with me, right? Okay. Where you sit there and you go, okay, what is this? Okay. Who, who are we? Like, I, I dig you. 
do you dig me? And she says, well, sort of. I take that as a yes, right? So what are we doing here? I always ask guys when I say, hey, are you dating somebody? Single guys. I ask Sloan that all the time. I'm like, are you dating somebody? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, come on, dude. Um, I know. Seriously. And uh, I'd say, hey, are you dating somebody? And they say, yes. And I say, oh, great. Have you had the DTR? And they're like, what? I'm like, the, the, define the relationship, right? And that's where you sit down and go, listen, I like you. Do you like me? And they say, yeah, sort of. They're like, okay, well, let's lock this thing down. And how about we kind of make it official that we're boyfriend, girlfriend? Okay? And typically they'll say either yes or no. They'll either say, I want to stay as friends, or they'll say, yeah, I would like to move in that direction. How many of you were, did y'all have that DTR time that defined the real, hey, I want to know the parameters that we are going to, to associate in. I mean, am I kind of, am I on the market? Am I off the market? We like definitions, okay? I ran across a list of definitions just the other day, okay? Have you ever heard of the atom bomb, right? Can anyone define the atom bomb? What's an atom bomb? Anyone? Going once? Here's the definition of the atom bomb. An invention to end all inventions. Am I right? Am I right? It is the invention that ends all inventions. Anyone can, can anyone define a boss? Who's a boss? Huh? What? Yes, dear. Yeah, that's right. A boss is someone who is early when you are late and late when you are early. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? That's what a boss is. What about compromise? Compromise is, the, is defined as the ability of dividing a cake in such a way in which everyone believes that they got the biggest piece. Y'all with me on that? Okay, that is compromise, all right? Uh, a conference room. What is a conference room? A place where everybody talks, nobody listens, and everybody disagrees about it later. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, that's a conference room. What about the definition of a father? A father is a banker provided by nature. That is what a father is. Y'all with me on that? All right. My daughter is getting to that stage right now. She's like, um, Dad, I. Can, can I have 20 bucks? <laughs> I'm like, what am I, the ATM? And she's like, well, yes. <laughs> I get it, all right? What is a politician? Define a politician. Sanford here? Okay, good. We can talk about it. One who shakes your hand before elections and your confidence after. Y'all with me on that? That is a politician. That is how you define a politician, Okay. We like definitions. Who is this guy? What does he do? Kind of define what it is you do and who you are. When you look at the history of Paul in Acts, we first see Paul as a guy by the name of Saul. We know that he is Jewish. We know that he has been trained by Gamil. Uh, we know that he is a great teacher of the law. He knows the Old Testament. He is staunch in his Jewish faith. And when we first meet him, we know that he is a Christian killer. As a matter of fact, he has papers to go out and to find Christians and to bring them to the high priest to basically put them in chains. This guy, what he wants to do is he wants to go out and persecute 
and prosecute Christians. And he is active. He is the guy in Acts chapter 7 that holds the coats of the men that stone and kill Stephen. And then on his way to Damascus, he has this encounter with Jesus Christ. He becomes saved. And now Saul goes from being known as a persecutor of the Christians, a persecutor of the church, to now teaching men and women about Jesus Christ. If you look after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, it says this about Paul. After his conversion, it says this, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, referencing Jesus, and who came here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? People remember, hey, this is what, this is what Paul did. Before, before he started teaching about Jesus, before he started preaching about Jesus, all of a sudden now he has changed. At first, he was a guy that went out and he persecuted Christians. Now he's talking about Christians. Now he's talking about the very man the very God-man Jesus Christ, the guy that he was hunting people down about, now he is actually preaching this guy's word. You see, Paul was defined by others by what he did. They were defining him by, hey, this is what you did, Paul. Paul, you, you were running around persecuting Christians. Now you're talking about Jesus Christ. And for us, we define, we define ourselves by what we by what we do. For some of you, your job defines you. Your job defines you. What you do from eight to five every day, that is that is who you are. But the question is, is what happens if you lose your job? And I tell you what, I, I get the privilege of of being the, the missions pastor here, and part of that is I run the Jobs Connection page, and I've had a lot of meetings with guys that have lost their jobs, and they are just in a tailspin. They, they're kind of like, I don't know what to do. I used to know what to do and get up and, and, and have a purpose, but now all of a sudden, all of that is gone. And I'm having trouble understanding really and truly, who am I? Because I define myself by what I used to do, and now I have lost my job. What happens when you retire? What happens when all of a sudden you're not doing what you did eight to five every day? Some of you are defined by your status, by your status in the community or even by your wealth. Ricky Gervais was on the Ellen DeGeneres show uh, back in 2011. And I saw this interview with him, and he was talking uh, just about how he was going to host the Golden Globes uh, uh, that year. And there was uh, some murmuring uh, amongst those that were going to attend the Golden Globes. They were really worried about what Ricky Gervais was going to say about them. And this is what he said in response. Is, is he said this. Is he said, it wasn't 
a room full of soldiers I was talking about. These are the richest, most privileged people in the world. These are the richest, most privileged people in the world. And they were worried about what I was going to say about them. Wealth and status, that might be how you help define yourself. Well, what happens when you lose your wealth? What happens when you lose your status? Some of us, we, we are defined by what we do as hobbies. Some of us are hunters. Some of us are fishers. Some of us, we like to cook, all right? Some of us, hey, we like, give me a barbecue pit, all right? Give me a grill, give me a Traeger, give me a green egg. Let me go to town. Let me get that brisket out. You know what I mean? And we are defined by our hobbies. Well, what happens if you can't hunt anymore? What happens if you can't fish anymore? What happens if that lease that you had on that piece of dirt out there in West Texas that went away and all of a sudden you can't find it or you can't afford it anymore. What happens when your cooking goes south? Okay? What happens if you can't cook as well anymore? Some of you are defined by your education and how many degrees you have. That's great, but what happens when all of a sudden you get Alzheimer's and you forget? What happens? What happens if you're successful then all of a sudden you're a CEO? And then next thing you know, you're not. What if, what if people don't even really care? They say, well, I'm, I'm CEO of this company or that company. What happens if just people don't, they just don't care? I don't care. I don't care if you're CEO. See, Paul is not defined by what he does. Paul is defined by who he is. Not only by who he is, but whose he is. He is defined by this. He says, I am a what? A bondservant of who? Of Jesus Christ. I am a bondservant of Christ. Do you define yourself by what you do? Or do you define yourself by who you are? Or more importantly, whose you are? Whose are you? Are you somebody that goes to work today? Are you a good salesman? Or are you a follower of Jesus Christ that just happens to sell something? And there's a difference between those two things. We as men, we want to define ourselves by what we do. Rather, what we do should be defined by who we are. Does that make sense? In other words, who I am is going to dictate what I do. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said this in a quote, There are no unknown Christians, no insignificant sons of God. Each one signifies, each is a sign drawing the attention of the triune God day and night upon him. The faceless man has a face, the nameless man a name. When Jesus picks him out of the multitude and calls him to himself. What a great line. When we accept Jesus Christ, it's not about what we do. Rather, now it becomes who we are. We have real meaning. And it's not based on our works or what we do, but rather based on who Jesus Christ is. 
we have real meaning. This leads us to our second thought, which is this. We see a real purpose for life. We see a real purpose for life. Jesus Christ gives us definition, but it also gives us purpose, gives us direction, gives us value, gives us a real task that not lasts just here on earth, but also in eternity. That's what's so great, is it lasts all throughout eternity. People are always asking, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? You might be sitting here, and you go to church on Sunday morning. You come here on Tuesday morning, and you're still asking yourself, all I, all I have to look forward to is death and taxes. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? Some of you might be struggling with depression. You might be singing that song, Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. What else? Guess I'll go eat worms, right? Y'all with me on that? Long skin, long thin, shiny, I forgot the rest of the song. That, yeah, long thin, slimy ones, short, fat, juicy ones, itsy, bitsy, fuzzy, wuzzy worms. You might not, you, you may not have much to look forward to, or you might be struggling with it. Hey, what? What is my purpose? And when you look there in verse 1, it says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And then it says this, set apart for the gospel of God. There is the purpose. In just the first couple statements, in the first two statements, Paul defines who he is, I'm a bondservant. And then in the second statement, he states his purpose. Set apart for the gospel of God. We are set apart for the purpose of going out and sharing the gospel. Giving hope to the hopeless. I like what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says. It says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Jesus came and called men to the Father. Paul said, I am defined by Christ, therefore my purpose is, is the same as Jesus Christ to give the message of hope, to call people to reconciliation with God, to call people to repentance and to turn from their sins. What I love about Paul is that he is a single-minded, driven man. And there is much to be said about single-mindedness. Many successful people in business are single-minded. Y'all know that? A lot of guys in business, they are single-minded. They are focused. They have one thing on their mind. And there is nothing that is going to get in their way. David Jensen uh, is a, biotechno, uh, is a bio, uh, technology, uh consultant. And he's a writer for Science Magazine. And he gave six ingredients... Uh, for a single-minded pursuit. He gave six ingredients for a single-minded pursuit. Um, 
And uh, we see these same things in Paul's life. And so I just want to go through them real quick, talking about single-mindedness. The first thing he says is that a single-minded person has an unswavering faith that what you have set out to achieve is actually achievable. That what you set out to achieve is actually achievable. When you look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13, what does Paul write? He says, be on your guard and stand firm in your faith. Be courageous and be strong. We have the greatest message. Gentlemen, why are we not out there sharing it? Number one, why are we not starting with our families? Why aren't we starting with our families, with our kids, with our spouse, with our wives? Why aren't we starting with our parents, our cousins? Why aren't we starting with, with those just in our immediate realm of influence? Man, are you driven to share the gospel with those around you in your immediate realm of influence. Man, Paul gives, some, gives us some encouragement. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. I like that. The second, uh, second thought on, on single-mindedness, uh, David Jensen points out, is he said, most people, they have the ability to mentally focus on your pursuit at any opportune moment, not just from nine to five. Not just from nine to five. And here's, here's the deal with a lot of guys is, and a lot of Americans is we live Christianity like we live a lot of times our jobs and everything else. I go to church on Sunday morning and then I go home to my family and then I go to the office and I work at the office and then I have my family time over here and everything is compartmentalized. Well, with a single-minded individual, everything that, that they do is permeated by that one specific thought, that one specific thing that they want to achieve. And so for us as Christians, Christianity and Jesus Christ is not left up here at the church, but rather we take Him home after church. And we take Him to the office and we take Him to the baseball game and we take Him out to the lake and we take Him into the woods. We take Him and His message everywhere we go. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5 through 7, I'm sorry, 7 through 9, and I'm just going to read the first half and then jump to the last half. But it, it talks about this purpose that God has for us is ongoing. In other words, it doesn't just happen over here or over here, but rather it is all-encompassing and it is something that should be a common thread all throughout our lives. But in verse 5 it says this, Now the one who has fashioned for us this very purpose is God, okay? So we have a purpose, and that purpose comes from God. And so we read through that, and then down in verse 9, we see that purpose. And this is what the purpose is. It says, so we make it our goal to please Him. That is the purpose. It is our goal to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Get this. 
What Paul is writing here is that it doesn't matter if we are here on earth or if we are up in heaven or wherever it is we are at. It is our goal, it is our purpose to please God. How do I please God? It's very simple. To obey Him. And what does God want us to do? To go out and to share the message of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what He wants us to do. So whether you're here on earth or whether you're up in heaven, guess what? Our purpose doesn't change. Our purpose is eternal. So gentlemen, go ahead and get it in your mind now to go ahead and to start pleasing God. Because if you don't do it here, you're definitely going to be doing it in heaven. Right? So might as well get used to it now. Sorry. Get used to it now. Go ahead and start doing it now. Start doing it today. Here's the interesting thing about the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about it here on Tuesday morning on March 30th, right? When we're up in heaven, we're still going to be talking about it. It is a story that will last for eternity. Because our very presence in heaven comes from the empty tomb. And how much sweeter is it going to be to talk about the empty tomb when we see the scars on the hands and feet of Jesus? Huh? Is that not a game changer? I'm going to be up there talking with Frazier. Going, man, can you... Have you seen the scars on Jesus' hands and feet? Remember when we were talking about this in men's Bible study way back when, a million years ago? We will still be talking about what Jesus did on the cross. We'll still be talking about the empty tomb. We will still be praising God. We'll still be worshiping God. And we will still be working to achieve God's purpose. What is our purpose? To please Him. So gentlemen, let us become single-minded and begin to focus on pleasing God. We have real purpose, gentlemen. We have real purpose. Number three. Oh, I like what George S. Patton said. He said this. You must be single-minded. Drive for that one thing on which you have decided. Drive on that one thing to which you have decided. For a lot of us here in this room, we have to decide, am I, going to, am I going to begin to follow Jesus? And am I going to begin to do the things that He wants us to do? And it is a conscious decision, gentlemen. We have to make a conscious decision to do that. Number three, real quick. An open mind, because a single-minded pursuit is not a closed-minded pursuit. Ephesians 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what the hope of uh, which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Having your eyes and your hearts enlightened. Ladies and gentlemen, or no, there are no ladies here, right? No, Gentlemen, we have... we. When we ask Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our lives, our hearts are enlightened. Our eyes are open. And what are they open? They're open to the sin 
in our lives. They're open to the things that we do, that when we disobey God, man, our hearts are convicted. We're open to now God's plans and not my plans. Number four, a large reserve of mental energy combined with mental toughness. Romans 8, verse 18. The suffering on earth will not compare to the joy of heaven. Can I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us? Man, why do we keep doing what we're doing? Why do we keep on sharing the gospel? Why do we keep on going out with purpose to tell people of the hope and the message of Jesus Christ? Because, guys, this life, we only got one chance. I only have one chance to share the gospel. You know that? And that is this life. People that are walking around today, they only have one chance. They only have one life. And because they only have one life, they have an opportunity to find salvation, to find hope, to find purpose. And we are the messengers Pastor talked a few weeks ago. We are the ambassadors to go and to tell people. We have one shot. And so when things get tough here, hey man, it doesn't matter. This life is temporary. This life is temporary. It's okay. Guess what? It will come to pass. It will end. And then I will be taken on to glory. I'll be taken on to heaven. No more tears. no, No more pain. We can get through this. There is hope. And so it allows us to have a mental toughness. Hey, this is tough. Hey, that's okay. It's going to end. It's going to end. Number five on being single-minded. You must be powered by unbridled enthusiasm. Don't you love Christians sometimes? Yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I go to church. There's nothing more depressing than seeing a Christian with a frown on their face on Sunday morning. Are y'all with me on that? Man, it's good to be here. Man, it's good to be around other brothers in Christ. It is good. It It helps each other. It encourages each other. Guys, we have hope. We have a purpose. Man, you wake up in the morning with a smile on your face and joy in your heart, even when things are crashing around. How can you do that? Because we have hope. We are filled with joy. In Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. As you trust in Him. So that you may overthrow, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are filled with joy. Why? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Number six, and finally, planning and and organizational skills. The ability to set timetables and monitor your goals against them. That's one of the things about being single-minded is you set goals. And you're organized to go to those goals. Guys, salvation is near. 
Scripture tells us that salvation is near, and we see this in Paul before he writes this in Romans 13, 11. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Guys, salvation is near. Hope is so close. Have you, have you ever looked at somebody and you said, they're sitting there and they're asking themselves, man, do I really want to follow this, this man by the name of Jesus Christ? You go, man, you, you are so close. You are so close. Eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ is so close to you right now. With every minute that passes, we are getting closer to the return of our Lord and King. Have you thought about that? With every minute that passes, the return of our Lord and King is drawing closer and closer. And so guess what? We don't, we don't have a lot of time. For we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So we better get out there and share. We better get out there and start telling people about Jesus Christ. I like what C.S. Lewis says he says this, Christ wants a child's heart, but a grown-up's head. He wants us to be simple. He wants us to be simple, single-minded, affectionate, and teachable, as good children are. But he also wants every bit of, intelligent, of intelligence we have to be alert on its job and in first-class fighting trim. I like that. I mean, God wants us to be like children, but he also wants us to have a grown-up's head. He wants us to be simple. He wants us to be single-minded. Third and finally, our faith is based in real history. Our faith is based in real history. <clears throat> we have a real definition. We have a real purpose. And we have a real history. The reason, why can we say all of these things? Because we have a real history to lean upon. When you look in verse 2 of Romans chapter 1 <clears throat> and following, you see that Paul writes about, hey, here is the basis that I have to be able to say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, to say that I have meaning, to say that I have purpose. He says this in verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what he's referencing is he's re referencing the forefathers of our faith. He says, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, he's... He's thinking when he's writing this, hey, here's a list of all these guys that we turn to, and they have a history as well concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and his apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, listen, I am not putting my faith in some fly-by-night plan. In other words, there is evidence. <clears throat> there is true, factual evidence to what I'm talking about. 
Why are you following Jesus Christ? Have you seen the empty tomb? Why are you following Jesus Christ? Have you read the prophets that predicted Jesus Christ? There is factual evidence. Recently, I've become fascinated with uh, the story of Muhammad. Uh, I have several uh, neighbors around that are Muslim. And so in an effort to, uh, to be able to talk with them a little bit, I've, I've kind of been doing a little studying on Muhammad. As a matter of fact, uh, 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 we've had several conversations around the table and just around the house just about Islam. My daughter is going through worldviews right now, and they're talking about the very subject of Islam. So we're kind of talking about it. Now, what's fascinating about uh, the Muslim faith as well as the Christian faith is that it takes two things. It takes faith, right? It takes faith. There are some things that you just have to take on faith. But one of the things that I have discovered about Islam is that their historical facts are not facts. Did you know that? A lot of their historical, quote, facts aren't real. In other words, they can't back them up. They go back and they say, well, you know, Mecca was a great trading town. Well, when you go back and look at the history of Mecca, it never was a great trading town. And you can go through fact after fact that they claim that there's no, there's no history of that. In other words, there's no, how can I believe this if this doesn't even match up and the great part about being a follower of jesus christ is that guess what all the facts match up the history matches the claims amen the history matches the claim and so while yes there are some things that i have to take on faith guess what there is a proven track record when we go back and look, the history and the facts line up and they make sense. And so it just makes it that much more easier to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The fact is, is that Jesus died and guess what? He rose from the dead. The fact is, is that I can go over to Israel right now and say, hey, where was Jesus buried? And they'll say, hey, right over here in this empty tomb. Isn't that great? Come on over. There's nobody in here. Come on in and check it out. Our faith is not some fly-by-night, just grabbing for, for whatever. <clears throat> here today, gone tomorrow. Look at the gods of Rome, the ancient god, gods of the Greeks, the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians. Where is Baal? Where is Zeus? Where is Neptune? Where are all these other gods? They have fallen away. They don't stand the test of time. But my Jesus, my faith, continues to stand the test of time. Are you defined by the world 
Are you defining yourself? What is your purpose? What is your value? All of these things can be found in Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. Guess what? Salvation is near. It is right here. It is right beside you. If you don't know Jesus Christ after this, either myself or Justin, the taller slash wiser or Sloan's, we'd love to talk to you or talk to one of these guys around the table and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus Christ. What better time to know salvation and to ensure your eternity in heaven than to be saved during Holy Week? Today is the day of salvation. Gentlemen, I implore you, I ask you, consider Jesus Christ to be your Savior. There's enough evidence to prove that and to prove who He is. For some of you here in this room, you say, hey, listen, I, man, my, my value, my purpose, my drive has been defined by what I do, not whose I am. I want to encourage you, set in your mind to change that, to say, hey, listen, I'm going to be defined by Jesus Christ and that I am His, not by what I do, because what I do is going to eventually fade away. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you want to talk about that, myself, Justin, the wiser is here. As long as we love to talk to you about that. Thanks for being here, guys. Let's pray. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. And God, as we go forth, may we remember who we are, not who we are by what we do, but by who we follow, by who we put our faith and trust in, and that's you, Lord Jesus. God, may our purpose be single-minded. May our purpose be single-minded to go out and to share the gospel to tell others, to begin with our, our realm of influence, Father, with our family, with those that we work with. Father, when people look at us, may they not say that we are good salesmen or that we're a good CEO or that we're a good mechanic or that we are a good CPA or a good trashman. But Father, may people look at us and say, there is a follower of Jesus Christ who lives their lives in obedience to God's command. And so, Father, I, I pray that each man in here would determine in their mind to become single-minded for you and single-minded in their purpose in life. And that is to go out into this world and to be lights and to be salt. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time here today. We love you and we thank you for the empty tomb. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's men said, amen. Y'all have a great day.